are back for another edition of the Bibliotheques podcast. So happy to be back, Cody. We're how back, you doing? folks. We are so good. We're so back. Summer's over. Summer is over. We had a nice long summer vacation for That's the most true. part. <laughs> it was full of us moving and being physically unable to record due to having no space to do so. True. As well, yeah, I mean, a lot going on anyway. It's not important. You don't really care. What you do care about, hopefully, is what we're doing this week, which is... Pride and Prejudice. Yes. So we are moving to kind of a different lane, I guess. I mean, all three of the different kind of like books that we've done. I mean, Lord of the Rings, obviously, we did four. So those books and then the move to the Dog of the South was definitely a kind of a stark difference there. And then we're making another kind of big jump to Pride and Prejudice. We're zagging again. Yeah. So we're just we're keeping it loose. You know, we're just we're feeling good about it. Um, And personally, I am thoroughly enjoying this book so far. So while it is technically different from Dog of the South, which is monumentally different from the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit, this is keeping of the theme of realistic fiction comedy. Yeah. Kind of what we're doing. Both also being comments on society in which um, the writer decided to take place. So 1979 uh, or or, yeah, 1979 with Dog of the South was very much of a time with how it was written. Everything that was in there was contemporary at the time. This is 1813 countryside of England. Mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice written by Jane Austen has remained in the public domain and is one of the very first young adult women's books ever written. Yeah. So just a little backstory on Jane Austen that will hopefully give a little bit of uh, context into what she's talking about throughout this book in total. She was born into a family in England in more or less the middle class. Uh, Like she wasn't poor by any means, but in England at the time, there was this kind of gentry that could do whatever the fuck they wanted. And there's just kind of, there's still this very visible class difference between certain people. Anyway, so Jane was born into this family, middle class, born in 1775. She died in 1817. Jane experiences for the first time this real difference in class between like her family and a lot of the, you know, uppity people that lived in this kind of fashionable town in England. And so what a lot of literary historians have kind of theorized is a lot of Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, which is another one of her books, are kind of commentaries on her time there and just observations she made while she was there and about just the kind of gentry as a whole. Yep. Another one of her books that you may have heard of is Emma. So yeah, Pride and Prejudice, Sense and Sensibility, Emma. From everything I've heard, we're reading by far her best book. So At yeah. least, if not her most well-known as well. Yes, for sure. For sure. Really, I think we can just kind of get into it today. We're breaking this book up. It's it's split up into three volumes um, and we're, we're splitting it up by doing basically half a volume a week. Um, so today we're doing the first half of volume one, chapters one through 13. Jane Austen likes to do this thing where she likes to write chapters that are like a page and a half long. Um, so there are a million chapters in this book. So don't get afraid and think that you're about to strap into a four oh, hour podcast. Don't worry, folks. So this 13 chapters that we're about to cut through took up in my copy of the book, 38 pages. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it was slightly longer, but yeah, not long at all. Um, so don't get scared. Anyway, <clears throat> uh, I think we can just start right off the bat. 
chapter one begins with us meeting Mr. Bennett and his wife, Mrs. Bennett. Uh, they are speaking about this new bachelor who's moved to town, who is has remained unnamed at this point. And this chapter is a hilarious way of opening the book because you just get this immediate introduction to this dad who's like so over having five daughters. Oh, yeah. And this wife who is so involved in matchmaking that she at this point is talking to her husband about like, well, you're going to go introduce yourself to this guy when he moves in. Right. And dad's like, no, not going to do that. Not going to go talk to this guy. (laughs) It's just like, please go and put in a good word for our daughter, Lizzie. Like she could use it. he's like, all right, you're playing favorites with our kids. Don't do that. Basically chapter ends with them just kind of like bickering back and forth about meeting this new guy again, three pages. And this is going to come in every single chapter going forward. The majority of the time, any one chapter, quote unquote, is more or less a snapshot of maybe like an hour to potentially like 90 minutes Mm -hmm. of a day, sometimes even shorter than that, sometimes just a conversation like what we just had now. Right. This was maybe from the time you read it to time at the chapter ends was probably no more than a 10 minute conversation, maybe less, depending on how like if you read it fast. Yep. Could be like two minutes, but this is pretty much all it was. And that's the end of the first chapter. And so you're kind of thrown off kind of right away. You're like, that that's it. Was this like a prologue? Was and then no, you keep reading it, you keep reading it. Every chapter is this way. Exactly. So chapter two starts, um, and we're introduced to those said five daughters. We have Elizabeth, Lydia, Mary, Kitty, and Jane. Jane is the eldest. Um, Elizabeth is the second born. Um, and then I believe it's Mary. Mary. Kitty, Lydia. Yep. And the yeah, the only interesting thing is that we don't really hear a ton of, at this point about Lydia and Kitty. They're not and Mary. They're not as important to the story. They're but. also much younger. They're, I believe, yep. like 10 to 14 years old. Yep. But also hilarious that Jane Austen puts a character in there who will become kind of the focal point of what's going on and also named Jane. I found that kind of funny, even if it is just a pen name. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's an interesting choice for sure, because we we learn while she like you, I think you use the word focal point. I think we figure out pretty quickly that she's not the main character. No. Anyway, continue. So they're also arguing about. So they've also so like their parents, they've also heard about this new wealthy bachelor that's come into their section of the countryside, what they call the neighborhood. Um, and he's rented an estate and he seems very cool by all accounts. He mm-hmm. seems they've heard he's handsome. They've heard he's very rich and they are obviously excited to meet him. Who doesn't want to meet this cool guy? And they're shocked to find out that he's apparently already heard of them through some means and has already called upon them. So the chapter ends with them kind of coming to the realization that their opportunity to meet him, what they um, officially hear is his name, Mr. Bingley, which we'll be hearing a lot going forward, has already called upon them. Yeah. And this is what I find so funny about this part is that basically the way this starts out is um, Mrs. Bennett is talking to her girls about how like they're all like, oh, yeah, this new guy's moving into town. Like you said, they're discussing all of the stuff about him. Rich, handsome, all all this. And it gets to a point where she's like, yeah, if your father was even worth like was worth anything, he'd go over and visit this guy and try to get an introduction for us. And the dad's just like, oh, yeah, I did that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God, this is my favorite guy ever. Like 
the ultimate dad move of just like moving in the dark, but like doing favors for your family, like totally unseen just to spring it on them later. And they all freak out and not making a big deal about it when like your wife's nagging at you to be like, hey, you got to fix a marriage for your daughter. And he's like, what? I don't need to do that. It's already been done. Yeah, exactly. I'm just like, oh, my gosh, Mr. Bennett. I love this guy. So hilarious. Basically, uh, yeah, he's kind of already done a little bit of this matchmaking. And like you said, yeah, he calls calls on them. So chapter three, uh, basically what happens is we're going to a party at this point. In town, this this village that they're in, there's this gathering being held. And there's all this hubbub because the Bennett girls uh, are all very excited to go and meet this Bingley. But they hear that he's like going to go back to London to like pick up his basically like his posse. And they're like, oh, no, he's going back. I've heard he's going to like pick up 12 women to bring back with him and like six other dudes. And everybody's like freaking out. And then it like goes quickly just to say like, oh, it ended up that he only brought six women back with them and three of them were his relatives. Uh, And it's just it's an amazing example of how like. Jane Austen is so aware of like how rumors and just shit spread and oh, yeah. mean nothing. So I just love that she included that. So thing. much of this book is based in the concept that when you are at a certain level of like, like leisure mm-hmm. in English society and you have money to not do things and the Bennett's are like, they have just like reached the bare level of this where they live a comfortable lifestyle. They have servants and they get money coming into their estate via farms and stuff. So they don't work. Mr. Bennett doesn't, do anything other than like read he just you know is the landlord and collects checks that's the basic level of that but when you reach that level there's nothing really to do except engage in all the gossip about about everyone else who's also at your level or above yeah these people are fucking bored they're bored they they don't do they don't do anything because there's nothing to do in 1813 and what's interesting is that the bennett family much like jane austen's family in real life they're not wealthy wealthy like they live in a place We'll, we'll get into it a little bit later, but like they get, they live in this house that technically isn't even theirs. Really. They make a good living, but by our, are no means like wealthy. They never starve. They are never without all the comforts of life, but you know, the but people even, that we are about to be engaged with future, these are the extremely loaded, truly higher ends of so, society. Right. So to that point, we will find out that there is another level of like boredom and shit that people do when they're bored but for the for the bennett girls they have the leisure of being able to do this kind of stuff right and so when these rumors come in about mr bingley it's 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 also that they're they're worried about this not because it's like when you go to a dance or you go to a party in like to in our age right now you're not super worried about there being more or less of a different gender because if you're trying to like be romantic with someone you know there's always next time it's not like you're gonna get married or something off this random person that you meet at a party. Not the case. This is the case with them. You go to a ball, you meet a nice guy who's richer than you. You kind of want to get married to that dude, which is where we're going to bring in uh, uh, one of our um, features of this podcast. Specifically, we wanted to have a fun angle. And right now I want to introduce a segment called Jane Aust hinge. <laughs> <laughs> Would a part of this book or perhaps 
a character in the book's life become better mm-hmm. if dating apps were available? Yeah, and I I love this. The answer is undoubtedly yes. Yes. And this is why. In thinking about this premise for a segment, what I was thinking about is Mr. Bennett essentially being the old fashioned version of the hinge most compatible uh, algorithm. Yes. (laughs) It's like instead of relying on a dating app the way we can now, where you're just like, yes, yes, yes. Get all of all of these people in. That's all removed. And we're reliant on this human algorithm that very slowly has to like pick one person at a time. And so undoubtedly, yes, all of our characters' lives would be much easier with dating apps. However, as we see in modern day society, it's not like it would make it less dramatic. No. (laughs) So I don't know. What do you think? I think undoubtedly, yes, just for the ease of maybe finding someone. But at the same time, they're in a random English countryside. So someone might swipe right a couple times. All of a sudden, there's no one new in your area. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. fuck, you're right. I got to go 70 miles south to London to where the real matches are. Exactly. Or imagine like, <laughs> yeah, imagine you are on Hinge or Bumble or whatever you're doing here on Jane Austen Hinge. And you've already swiped either right or left and everybody in your village. And just just for the fuck of it, one day you log on and there's one new person and under his profile, it says in like bold lettering, rich as fuck. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, it's kind of like, yeah. So another thing that would be funny to think about, and we'll get into this later as we meet more characters is what is on their potential Jane Aust hinge profile. Yes. Yes. So you get Mr. Bingley and he's just like, it's like a swell fellow from London. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Likes likes parties. And I think it's a good time to actually get into the rest of this uh, ball chapter so that we can dive into the details because we just want to introduce Jane Austen. It's going to be coming later. So as you listen to this podcast and maybe if you're reading along, think about that as you're consuming the text. Right. At this ball, there are a few important things that need to need to be noted. The first of which everybody likes Mr. Bingley. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's very handsome. He has a very casual demeanor um, and a very easy manner about him where he's just very, very charismatic and very kind to people. And he just wants to ch- chat it up with everybody. So everybody approves, especially Mrs. Bennett of Mr. Bingley. Secondly, Mr. Bingley dances twice with Jane. Big stuff. Big stuff. And that makes that means something because um, she's the only person that he danced with more than once that night. So it's like a real thing. And then lastly, uh, it's important that we note the introduction to Mr. Darcy. And people are like, on first impression, Darcy is like this really, he's a tall, really handsome man. And everybody's kind of stricken with him because he's taller than Bingley. He's more handsome than Bingley. And he's far wealthier than Bingley. Yeah. But he's kind of a dick. He is a <laughs> huge chore to hang out with. Yeah. Like he's everything that makes Bingley great as like being charismatic and kind and like this fun guy, Darcy's like, I'm going to go sit in the corner at this dance next to this girl 
not talk to her and not dance because I don't like to. He is the worst kind of wet blanket where yeah. like he's like he's like a weird combination of like all the features of someone that you think would be someone who's just like crushing it in society and like civil culture and stuff. Mm-hmm. He can he can go anywhere, do anything, has the looks to kind of like and the intelligence too to like probably do whatever he wanted to. Right. But is just such a prick. Yeah. That he actively wants to be a wallflower Mm -hmm. and just not do any of this and actively reject all the fun that everyone else is obviously having. I, I was, uh, it it was tough. It was tough for me reading this part because I identify so much with, I was going to say parts of Darcy. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh man, that's mostly me. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of, for those of you who don't personally know, Paul understand the real pain Paul was reading when everyone talks about what a massive douche Darcy is <laughs> because he is just like, damn, dude, that's that's your boy. Yeah, it's, it was very close. It's very close. And we'll get into that later when we start getting more of Darcy dialogue. <laughs> Importantly to mention, it's important to mention as well that uh, Darcy is also not only is he just like n- not super fun at these parties, but he also like has this superiority complex mm-hmm. where he he's he thinks he's better than people um d- doesn't really <clears throat> doesn't really feel like people in this small town are like deserving of his time and attention and there's this moment at the dance where bingley talks to him and is like hey man why are you just sitting over here not dancing and darcy's like well the only attractive girl here you're dancing with So what's left for me? Yeah. And so while they're having this conversation, it's important to note that Elizabeth isn't like within eyesight of them, but is within earshot and she's eavesdropping on them. Right. And Mr. Bingley mentions, well, the girl that I'm dancing with has a younger sister, Elizabeth, who I think is very pretty. And I've talked to her once and she seems very cool. And Darcy kind of glances at her and it's basically like, yeah, she's okay. Yeah. But, you know. Not for the not for the Darcy. Yeah. Not, not for the Darster, you know. <laughs> not for the Darster. Yeah. So the Darster, uh, huge prick. And obviously Elizabeth is extremely put off by this. Oh, she's like, oh, not a fan. Okay. Yeah. You can be rich and tall and cool and handsome all you want. You're a huge douchebag and I'm not going to engage with you. Yeah. So we're going to cut back to the Bennett house where Mr. Bennett, a.k.a. my dad, is still... <laughs> awake reading a book when the girls get back from the dance truly all-time stuff from mr bennett yes and he basically begs mrs bennett to stop stop telling him about the dance (laughs) mrs bennett comes in and she's just like this happened and this happened this happened mr bennett's like please i don't care uh he's like i'm trying to read i don't know like fullstead or something right whatever I, I, i don't i don't need this right now Anyway, that's the that's the end of that chapter. Chapter four begins with Jane and Elizabeth discussing the dance. Uh, and, and this chapter is it's another really quick one, but we learn a couple kind of interesting things about the two of them. Um, Jane is a much more forgiving person where mm-hmm. she had met some people at the dance who Elizabeth is kind of like cynical of. Uh, Elizabeth's kind of just like, no, that's fake as shit. Jane's much closer or quicker to kind of forgive people for that kind of thing or overlook uh, faults uh, where 
Elizabeth, Eliza, Lizzie, all the same person, uh, is more critical. Lizzie also explains that Jane is always surprised by compliments, um, whereas she it always expects them. <laughs> Super cool, dude. Uh, I can think of somebody that you would be perfect for. We get a little more info on the history of Mr. Bingley and his two sisters that he had brought back with them as well. Uh, one is a single single woman still. The other is married to this guy. and We'll get to know them a little bit more in following chapters. Yeah. And another thing that we kind of learned is we a little bit more, learn more about like the details of Bingley and Darcy were. Yep. So everyone in the party is like, OK, here's Bingley. He's cool and rich. There's Darcy. He's a douchebag and really rich. Mm-hmm. And we kind of learned that Bingley's estate is like pretty well known throughout England. It's kind of why they were able to come up. And um, he makes like something like seven thousand pounds a year, which is like, you know, before inflation, that's like super good. Darcy right. is ten thousand. A right. year yeah of his personal stuff on top of whatever his family's estate is which we eventually learned is like a hundred thousand pounds so right darcy when we're thinking of all the richest and wealthiest he is just one he, he's the big he's the big kahuna of yep. every week so like whenever he's in their neighborhood it's important to know that the reason that like he's such a dick and he can be is because he knows he can be because no one's going to be a douchebag to him because he could just buy out the entire place yeah He's an absolute tool. And it, it, the book also mentions that like him and Bingley are pretty good friends, despite how super different they are. Part of that's kind of like they're very similar social stature with how wealthy they are, but also just because like Bingley being kind of like like a golden retriever, like kind of just like he's like loves parties and loves being nice to everyone, loves spending his money mm-hmm. on fun things. He's also kind of like he'll go to Darcy and be like, hey, Darcy, isn't this fun? And Darcy's like, no. He's like, he's like, you're funny, man. I like you. Okay, we're going to hang out more. And Darcy's like, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of their relationship. So that's pretty much chapter four. Um, I want to I want to toss it over to you. But I I just want I want to make sure that people understand why I'm laughing out loud while I'm reading this book. And I just like to read this quick, quick quote. Basically, just to give a little context, next door to the Bennetts live the Lucases, um, and they also have some girls that are about the same age as the Bennetts. So this quote, that the Miss Lucases and the Miss Bennetts should meet to talk over a ball was absolutely necessary. And the morning after the assembly brought the former to Longbourn to hear and to communicate. Now, to me, I was rolling. I, I I laughed at that line too. Because it's just like, well, obviously, just going to the dance wasn't enough. It's absolutely necessary that we talk about it the next day. We got a dish. We have to. What is this book without dish, dude? Absolutely nothing. And it is, <laughs> and like we said earlier about the gossip part of this book. So the Lucases are kind of on the they're about as middle class as you can get. They're not as wealthy as the Bennett's, which is important to note because the Bennett's are not wealthy relatively to the rest of the characters that we're with. Mm-hmm. So when, so it's a kind of, so, but they're also, I kind of grew up together. So they're friends. And so when they talk about the ball, they're talking about on a relatively similar level where they're like, so do you see all the rich people that came? That was pretty cool. And also we're bored as shit and have nothing to do. Yeah. And this is literally going to take up. 80% of our day mm-hmm. is talking about what we did last night. Right. Who was there? What did they do? What did they sound like? What did they mean when they put the inflection on that word when they spoke to me once? Yes, that's this book. Exactly. Um, 
And it's also just your classic, you know, you go to a party, you get together the next day over brunch, maybe some mimosas, and you just got to talk about it, man. What'd you guys do? You did what? Who said that? It's the best. So the the other thing, and this chapter, again, this is a really short one, but it's just, there's a few nuggets in here that are just too fucking great to just skip over. Please my, share. My, my next favorite one is Mrs. Bennett's little, like, just super sly way of basically telling, like, Charlotte Lucas, this girl that came over that, like, she's like, oh, Mr. Bingley liked you a lot because he asked you to dance first. And then Charlotte's like, well, yes, Miss Bingley, but he asked Jane to dance twice. And so clearly he found favor with her. And Mrs. Bingley's like, oh, I hadn't noticed. Did he do that? And I'm just like, oh, my God, where is Big Daddy B right now to put a fucking squash on all of this. It's so annoying. Mrs. Bennett is just this conniving little, oh, makes you so mad. But the, <laughs> the Miss Bennett is an absolute, like, she is a, like, social climbing reptile, dude. She <laughs> is so devoted to getting her daughter's big, fat, paychecks yes yeah that she is like she comes she comes off clearly and through all fault of her own as like the probably the most conniving person in this book and that's a compliment yeah because she's out here scheming for her daughter and her you know her own future well-being yeah like you just gotta do it that's the game absolutely and whenever so yeah i want to stop and make sure everyone knows that when we're like talking about this and we talk about everyone's like maybe we'll talk about them being like kind of sharp or just like like fake but for all the purposes of like getting ahead in society we understand that in the context of this book and the time that it takes place that is the game and kind of the point you don't want to put your family at risk of not having money and doing things like that so when we ever come out here and say that you know some of the women are gossiping about stuff or maybe they're trying to like get a leg up on someone we're not trying to rat on them at all yeah i mean i think yeah two things can be true right like it can be really funny and kind of like despicable the behavior of some of these people. Like we can say that and we can also fully understand why they're doing it. Uh-huh. And it isn't in, in many cases justified. Yes. Anyway. So the, besides, besides them just kind of gossiping about this kind of stuff, um, we get a little bit more clarity. Mr. Bingley expressed to this guy, Mr. Robinson at the dance that Jane was without question, the prettiest girl there. So we're on the right track oh, with yeah. Bingley and Jane, right? The wheels are in motion. We talk a little bit more about how Mr. Darcy sucks. Uh, talk about his pride and his vanity, which is going to be discussed later as well. And then finally, and this is my last favorite nugget from this chapter and we can move on. The young Lucas boy who had come with his older sisters came in and he just kind of threw into this conversation, basically saying like, yeah, um, you know, if I was the Darster and I had all that money, I would just get hammered every day. (laughs) And they're like, dude, shut up. He's like, yeah, I would drink a bottle of wine every day and watch sports. And they're just like, you can't do that. That's bad for you. And he's like, but I'd still do it and like runs off and like is annoying. And I'm just like, hey, this kid is 
probably right. I don't, I see <laughs> yeah. nothing wrong with this child's interpretation of what the Darster should do every day. Exactly. Exactly. Kick us off on chapter six, bro. <laughs> okay. So, so it's actually pretty fun because, um, so Mr. Bingley was invited over by, uh, Mr. Bennett in under cover of night and just like we said, <laughs> yeah. classic dad fashion, you know, moving and shaking cloak and dagger stuff. But that means that he has to return the invitation to them, which mm-hmm. is like kind of like another cool thing that like. So whenever you invite someone, it's a big thing that they're going to invite you back. Just kind of exchanging of favors, which is why it was also which is kind of like how we learn it was a big deal that Mr. Bingley was over at um, the Bennett estate because that obviously meant they were going to get invited over to his place. And when they do so, Elizabeth doesn't have a super good opinion of the sisters that they meet there. Mm-hmm. One of which, uh, her name is Mrs. Uh, Hurst because she is married, lost the Bingley name. The other is a single woman who we will deal with in much more fashion named Caroline uh, Bingley. And uh, she's L- Louisa Hurst yes. and Caroline Bingley. That's right. Yeah. She doesn't have a good opinion of the sisters. This isn't really because they're actively mean. It's because they're so obviously not nice. You know what I mean? That's kind of the impression I got where they would meet them and they're very civil and they're very nice. But Elizabeth has a really good nose for bullshit. And so she's kind of sniffing out how fake this is. She describes their treatment as being superciliousness. Mm -hmm. There you go. There's a word for you. Yeah. Google that one. Yeah, I I had to. And this is in (laughs) in the next couple um, chapters. Conversations between everyone are going to get very high. And the English and using them is extremely high quality. And I had to Google a lot of words I did that too. they use. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that, but um, mm-hmm. your boy's learning things out here. And he can, and she, like we said, Elizabeth can kind of tell that the only reason they're being nice or super nice to Jane is because it's so obvious that Mr. Bingley's kind of crushing on her. So yeah. they want to make a good impression too, and don't want to kind of make her feel bad or feel, make her feel uncomfortable. No. Um, yeah. Jane muses to the Lucas girls that she has to play it cool but not too cool, you know? Yeah. There's this weird conversation. And this is another time where I thought of like, just about how funny and relevant this book still is today, where it's like this conversation of how apparent do you need to make it that you're into somebody, somebody like, should I be playing hard to get, or should I make it blatantly obvious that I'm seeking you out? And what's funny about this is that, Really, only the girls are the ones who are talking about this because Mr. Bingley's kind of doing everything in his power to make it as obvious as he can. He's, oh, yeah. When he's inviting her over, Jane gets like all of his attention, mm-hmm. asking her questions, laughing at her jokes, everything like that. Dance with her twice. They keep dancing at parties. Every, everyone that he's associated with is like actively really cool to Jane. So obviously mm-hmm. he's discussed it like in private. But Jane is still worried that like if she comes off too strong he's going to get maybe a little skittish or be like, oh, wow, what's this girl thinking about? Which is really funny. Yep. So, you know, in Jane's Jane Aust hinge profile, she's actively not replying to Mr. Bingley's messages for at least 30 minutes before each one, even though she's really. Yeah, it's the prompt, like, what kind of texture are you? Mm-hmm. And she's the kind of person that's like, sometimes I forget. Ha ha. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> my phone was charging. Yeah, exactly. How are you? <laughs> Sorry, I went to bed at 6 p.m. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> Wasn't sitting by my phone with a, I don't know, a sand dial. <laughs> Just watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, we're getting another party here. Uh, this time we're going to the Lucas residence. Mr. Darcy... <laughs> 
is he's like developed a little bit of a crush. And this is what's interesting about the way that this is written. There wasn't any real like uh, development that we saw with Darcy and Elizabeth as like a pair where something like clicked. But it's just this brilliant way of being like after Darcy had enough time to kind of stew on this woman that he completely gave the cold shoulder to before. He's kind of like, okay, there's something else about this person. Yeah. And it, you can kind of tell that he's kind of crushing on her more or less against his better judgment because yes. she is such a massive social step below him where there might not mm-hmm. be anything wrong with her. Yep. But he's just like, you know, what are we doing here? You really think that you're going to get with the Darster? The, the Darster even, can't get tied down. And, and even after that. Starster is like, you know, well, I'm going to be here in this fucking rube center of <laughs> central England. I might as well, you know, be cool to her. Yeah. What's the harm in that? You know, Darster is a nice guy. Darster. Can- so Darster uh, employs the age old tactic of just following Eliza around this party and trying to listen to all the conversations she's having with people. One point she gets sucked into this conversation with her host, Sir William Lucas, the Lucas girl's father, Yep, who is a colonel in the British military. So this uh, this is also a way to wedge in the fact that their family is uh, pretty good friends with kind of the officer gentry of the military where you can kind of buy your way into social structure and class through military officership. Yeah, I apologize. So it's it's the Darster uh, that gets sucked into this conversation with him. Did I say that or did I say Elizabeth? Uh, you said Elizabeth, but okay. she's the, coming. The yeah. Darster gets sucked into this conversation. Sir William Lucas is asking him the question that everybody wants to know. Hey, uh, Darster, why the fuck don't you dance? That is really too, that I really, really picked up on that. And you can tell that I can I can I can see through the Darster. Okay. I know him. All right. I can fucking read him like a book. Let's have it. Darster is a man of like really high intelligence. He's he's good looking and he's tall and he's had he's never had to ask for anything Mm -hmm. but somehow he is still super insecure he is a wildly insecure man despite everything in his life breaking his way and dancing is the ultimate thing that makes him uncomfortable because it's public and it's embarrassing potentially and it makes you feel emotions that you might not want to feel with a partner yeah usually a woman and so when when colonel lucas brings up to him that you know, hey, dancing's pretty cool. And even if you don't like it, it's kind of fun. And it's kind of what I see as a step of a like a good, strong society is that people dance. And he makes this really mean comment. Oh, this awful comment. This awful comment. Where he goes, where he goes, it's also found in low societies. Any savage can dance. And I'm like, dude, you suck. You you fucking suck, bro. Yeah. That is such a and like Mr. Lucas is or Colonel Lucas is like looks at him, he's just like, Dude, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, what kind of comment is that, bro? He's like, all right, well, I'm fine, but here's Eliza. Do you want to dance with her? And Eliza's like, excuse me, sir. What the fuck makes you think I want to dance with him? Yeah, so so he kind of calls El- Elizabeth over because he's like, look, look how pretty she is. You can't say no to dancing with her. And kind of like takes her hand, puts it in his, and the Darster finds himself not being unhappy holding her hand. Exactly. And but Elizabeth pulls it away and she's like, this guy's a fucking douche. Yeah. And was mean to me once. So I'm not going to dance with him. And she kind of leaves. And Darster's like, oh, it's on, huh? <laughs> yeah, the game. The game is afoot. The, game, <laughs> the cat and mouse is nigh. Yeah. So Miss Bingley then approaches Darcy after this happens 
and gets the scoop from him on how like he's like, yeah, I, I kind of have a crush on this Elizabeth Bennett girl. And Miss Bingley's like, hmm, I need to get involved. <laughs> so this is a really um, immediate wedging into the introduction of Caroline Bingley. So this is the unmarried Bingley sister. Uh, she kind of comes up and she's like, oh, I can't believe we're going to be stuck here all summer with all these rubes. Right, Darster? <laughs> and Darster's like, maybe it's not so bad. And she's like, oh, this is new from you, Darster. You usually hate these country bumpkins. Why are you all happy? And he's like, oh, and that Elizabeth girl's kind of cute. And she's just like, <laughs> yeah. she's like, what? <laughs> yeah. She's like, I thought you said that she was like moderately handsome. And he's like, yeah, well, you know what? People I don't change. even hear this anymore. People yeah. you know, it's like she's kind of getting my affection, and she's like, "What are you going to do? Get married?" And he's like, "Oh, I, you, you do want me to marry this girl? No, no, I'm just saying she's cute. I don't, I don't need, I don't need to listen to you." Exactly. So it kind of ends there. It's a short conversation, but the interest from uh, Caroline is definitely sparked. What's going on now? Chapter seven starts, um, and this is kind of where we go into more detail about the Bennett estate. So Mr. Bennett is the cousin of the estate owner, uh, who is a pastor that we find out later, but we don't need to know that now he's however, because he doesn't own it and his wife's estate, which is fine. Isn't enough to buy it out. They're kind of living on a precarious situation where they're, they're technically landlords because they live there and they have the name attached to them. But if the Bennett cousin who's like, who owns the place decided to evict them at literally any point they could. Yeah. And importantly too, when Mr. Bennett dies, the estate doesn't pass to his daughters. It passes back to the cousin. Yep. Cause they, cause again, so five daughters and kind of why he was over it is he's like, look, as soon as I'm gone, I have no son to pass this down to. Right. And even if I did, the estate could be challenged. So mm -hmm. the precariousness of the Bennett's can't be overstated which actually gives a lot more motivation to Miss Bennett, like maniacally trying to find her daughter's husbands mm -hmm. to send them off and be, have them be as comfortable as possible so that when Mr. Bennett dies, she's not left out in the cold as well. Yep. And so you can call that self-serving, but that's just survival, right? That's just like a, a, a middle-aged to older woman isn't going to go work in like a sewing factory to like, get her wages. That's not how this is supposed to work. She, so the idea of getting comfort for herself and her family now becomes much more obvious. Yeah. It comes off as being kind of like maniacal and scheming, but like she's gotta, you gotta, yeah. What do you, you, you really can't blame her. Uh, Jane gets a letter from Caroline Bingley kind mm -hmm. of being like, Hey girl, you got to come back and hang out with us. Cause the dudes are duding it up and I hate that. And I want to hang out with the girls. Yeah. She, she has this like great line where she's basically just like, if you left two women alone all day together, like by themselves, they're bound to like, just like go crazy. Yeah. And she's like, please come hang out. We're sick of these bros, these chats come chill. Yeah. And Jane's like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Sweet. I'm there. Cause again, they don't do anything. No. So getting to hang out in a cooler place is that's kind of, that's kind of the jam. It's tight. So and while they also do that, Elizabeth also gets a letter. What happens first, Jane gets this note to go over, but Mrs. Bennett comes up with this idea where she's like, it looks like it's going to rain. 
right? Looks like it's going to rain. So what we need to do is we need to, instead of sending Jane over to this house in the carriage where she's covered, we need to send her on a horse so that when she gets there and it starts raining, Bingley's won't tell her to go home and Jane will be able to spend more time at the house. Again, Mrs. Bennett, just an absolute genius. So that's what they do. Send her out on the horse. Basically, what happens is Jane catches a cold she's out in the fucking rain. And so the next morning she sends a note back and that's the note to Elizabeth. Yeah. So the note gets back to Elizabeth. Hey, your sister's got a cold. And again, it's the early 1800s. So anything can kill you. <laughs> yeah. We haven't even sniffed vaccination at this point. And mm-hmm. sometimes if you get a cut, you die. <laughs> so this cold is bad news. And they're like, we need a family member here to care for her. And also because you're pretty cool, whatever. Some people like you come on over. Yeah. Jane's like, or Elizabeth's like, okay, sweet. <laughs> Fucking walks her ass over there. Mm-hmm. Much to the confusion of all the guests there. And they're like, you just threw on some boots hiked up your dress and just hoofed it over Walked here girl three miles to our house in the post rain mud yeah like you look like shit what's going on and that's kind of where the next chapter picks up so mm-hmm. basically jane gets over there or elizabeth gets over there to hang out and every time she leaves the room all the girls are like this girl has like a foot of mud from yeah. her like feet to her like lower part of her dress Mm-hmm. What kind of person are we dealing with here? Yep. Yeah, this is a super important chapter because a lot of what goes on here is very foundational and just like the relationships of everybody moving forward, um, at least in the the kind of single people's world. Jane's still sick at this point. So Eliza goes up to this room at this the Netherfield. It's called the Netherfield uh, house. And she's caring for her there. Eventually, Elizabeth is like, OK, Jane's doing all right doing maybe a little bit better. I'm going to go down and join the rest of the house for dinner. Once she's there, there's a, a few awkward kind of like situations where it's made pretty clear that Elizabeth doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the people at the table. And one of the things is Mr. Hurst kind of judges her for the fact that she prefers a plain meal over something more decadent. And like some of the conversation is just a little, just awkward, a little clunky. So she leaves and then the shit talk begins. And it's important to note that people who were initiating the shit talk are all the women that are there about her because Mr. Bingley kind of stands up for her. Because again, Mr. Bingley, golden retriever. So let's talk about everyone's his friend. Let's talk about the different roles that these different people play as it relates to Jane and Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Right. Bingley, he's going to be nice to anybody. Yeah, I think. Generally, I think I think he's going to be more nice considering the fact that he's interested in Jane. Yes. So that's him. When you're talking about Darcy, Darcy's an interesting one Mm because the Darster, Mm -hmm. he's he's like too proud to be nice. Bad radio. I'm nodding emphatically as Paul's describing. Do do you know what I mean? He's too he's too proud. He can't let everyone know that he has emotions because that would somehow make him weak. And his pride can't allow people to think he's like weak or strong or, or weak or vulnerable or anything like that. Yeah. But he still can't help himself unlike, to stand up to Elizabeth. Unlike, stand up for Elizabeth. Yeah. Unlike Bingley, his attraction to Elizabeth is not enough for him to like defend her on things. So in, in some instances, he will. Where like 
one of the one of the other women is like, isn't it just awful that she came to the house and like the state that she was in? And he's like, kind of did it for me, honestly. He was I like, he, she looked good. He was like, he did it, and he's, he's like, he's like, he did it in service of her sister's health, which is admirable, which is like huge coming from the Darster. Yeah, that's massive stuff. But besides that, like, he is prone to kind of like go back to his douchery. Oh yeah, and be like, I'm totally agreeing with you that like she's too crass and all this other stuff and so he'll even do so and he's even getting better in other conversations so elizabeth eventually comes back and they're kind of talking and mr bingley makes this like again golden retriever comment about like how isn't it cool how girls are good at so many things yes and he's like he's like whether it's like basket weaving or they put the linings in purse or they can draw or they play piano or they can read or they can write they do calligraphy he's like Every girl I know is super good at a bunch of stuff. And this is exactly the type of conversation where you'd expect the Darcer to be like, dude, we're talking about dudes rock. Girls suck. Yeah. But he's actually kind of backs up. He's like, he's like, I'm inclined to agree with Mr. Bingley. I know six girls and they're all good at things. And you're just like, well, well you, you know, it goes it, it goes on in, in an interesting direction because Bingley's saying, isn't it great how all women are so good at this mm-hmm. stuff, which basically it's telling me. Bingley, you're either being way too generous and nice or you're so naive to the fact that there are plenty of women out there who don't do these things. Yeah, they don't have the luxury of time to get good at a ton of random shit. Darcy is like, here's the deal, man. I agree with your standard for being accomplished. This is the word that we're using. I agree with your standard for being accomplished. But not every woman is like that. I know maybe half a dozen. Yeah. And then finally, Elizabeth, who's in in the room at this point, is like, what the hell are either of you talking about? How can any woman living reach this standard that you are putting us putting us on? And then finally, Miss B, uh, Miss Bingley is like Caroline. Yeah, Caroline is like. How are you that ashamed of your sex that you don't think any woman is capable of this stuff? And it's this classic moment where it's like, okay, guys are setting the table and we're left with two women fighting each other Mm -hmm. over this totally unfair expectation. Yeah. All in a page and a half. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Amazing. And you can obviously tell especially now that a lot of Caroline's like incentive to be rude to Elizabeth is jealousy because she can kind of smell the attraction from Darster. Mm-hmm. And, yes. And yes. in a wor- in an otherwise conversation where she actually might even be, cause she's also very intelligent herself and mm-hmm. is good at a lot of things. She might be inclined to agree with Elizabeth, especially on this. She actively chooses to denigrate her argument and makes a makes a comment says like the reason like I can't believe some women like you said would put down their own sex for the attention of men. Yes, which is a comment you would only put in there unless you want to put it in someone else's head mm-hmm. that that's their intention in doing so. Yeah, and that begins a very interesting strategy that Bingley employs. Miss Bingley Caroline empl- employs by essentially like. Well, let's get into that in the next chapter because we, we'll we get into we'll it. Get, we'll get it'll into be more, yeah. But that basically ends that chapter, and it was really—I mean, I had it highlighted because it—it's a—it is a super kind of like eye-opening chapter about how 
these relationships are where it's just kind of like tense between the women a little bit and maybe misguided between some of the men who are like at this point overlooking or trying to overlook this kind of social disparity between them. Anyway, anyway, this is chapter nine. Oh, the chapter also ends that. So allegedly, so apparently um, Jane's condition has worsened a little bit. Bingley is like, okay, not good. Um, If she's not showing signs of being better in the morning, I'm calling for a carriage room, taking her to the best doctor in London. Just all again, this is his affection for stand up guy. Yeah. He's going to call the 1813's ambulance, which is a dude on a horse in a rickety wooden carriage. And it's going to take a couple days. Yes. (laughs) Chapter nine starts. Um, Jane is still sick, but Elizabeth uh, is also just kind of like, hey, kind of coming to the realization like, okay, when Jane gets better, we leave. She's just kind of like counting down right now. Mama Bennett comes over and um, Elizabeth, Mrs. Bennett, Mr. Bingley, the Darster and Caroline. All get into this like really asinine argument about the quality of living in the country versus the city. It's so awkward. And it's and again, it's an, so another, and another one starts where where again it's Mr. Bingley kind of putting out there just a you know, just a golden retriever comment of like, isn't summer in the country nice? And Miss Bennett's out here like, oh yeah, it's definitely nice. You should stay forever. <laughs> and then people's and then like darcy's kind of like you know country can be nice but city's also really cool kind of prefer it and elizabeth kind of points out a jab to mr like bingley and the darster just like just like like how can anyone judge like living in one place when they haven't had the time to like speak with all the people and stuff and darcy's like well rubes exist obviously and it's just like and mrs bennett's like Elizabeth, you shut your fucking mouth right now. If you fuck this up for Jane, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, she's just so mad that Elizabeth is like having a sharp tongue out of like pure yeah. fear that anything is going to distract from the attention of Bingley to Jane. It's it's just a really kind of uncomfortable conversation where really it seems like there's four people all going in different directions. And it's really just centered around Elizabeth and Darcy trying to like spar each other mm-hmm. verbally. Anyway, yeah, the other funny thing about this chapter, I thought, was that a couple things. Uh, Mrs. Bennett comes to check on Jane and she's like, I'm not that worried about her. But she goes, she sees that Jane is not going to die. Basically, she goes to her bed and is like, OK, Jane, she's doing all right. So what she does is she goes downstairs and is like, Jane looks fucking awful. She's going to need to stay here for a long time so again mrs bennett doing everything she possibly can to just like get her daughter married oh yeah later also with mrs bennett uh she brought her two youngest daughters uh lydia and uh kitty and lydia's like hey charles bingley dude you promised us to dance what's when's that gonna happen man and so i just find that funny um, and it kind of comes up a little bit later that like the young Bennett girls are kind of forward and vocal anyway. And it's hilarious because, you know, Bingley is a nice enough guy where he's like, oh, no, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Bingley dance. It, it's a coming again. So chapter 10 starts because, again, all these chapters don't assume that much time has passed at all between them. No couple hours maybe maybe um and again we're all staying at the netherfield aka shea bingley um (laughs) 
everyone's so again this is really where the boredom of the upper class is on full effect because so what so miss bennett leaves you got to stay here a while so everyone's like okay we better get comfortable uh everyone just kind of settles into like everyone's hanging out in the same room mm-hmm. it's like their party mm-hmm. is like a group of people the drawing room. the drawing room to yeah. just relax but everyone has to like no one can just whip out their phone or like throw on tv so they got to just like some people and like whatever you pick says a lot about your personality. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth and the Darster kind of settle into some books or mm-hmm. writing letters. Some people are drawing. Someone's on the harpsichord piano dicking around with some Italian tunes. And Caroline is the most bored out of any of them and decides what her way to uh not be bored is to just pester the Darster as much as she can trying to flirt with him. And he's not about it. He just wants to write letters. And she's like trying to comment about like what the letters say, how he's writing them, how good he is at writing letters. And he's like, I'm a perfectly okay letter writer. And or like, she'll just be like, she's like, wow, you do. You're so good at writing like your O's. And he's just like, ignores her. (laughs) This is so this is my favorite thing about the way that these scenes are written is that it start it almost always starts it starts with something that has nothing to do with Darcy and Elizabeth and it always gets there yeah so in this situation it begins with Darcy writing his sister a letter caroline looking over his shoulder and just pestering him and then it transitions to talking about how charles bingley is of like a great letter writer he writes very quickly and so we start talking about how bingley's like no 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 my letters aren't that great like i I write fast but like they don't really say anything and then we get into this like philosophical discussion between elizabeth and darster over whether or not it's like admirable for bingley in this situation to like basically humble brag about his letter writing. Mm -hmm. And in my notes, (laughs) I had written down trying to like understand what they were talking about. Mr. Bingley's humble brags are really admirable or something. I don't know. The point is that Eliza is a wicked smart and Darcy is wicked smart. Yeah. And (laughs) I think the reason that Darcy's so willing to kind of take shots from Elizabeth is not only because he finds her attractive, but also that he doesn't know a lot of people who are like, especially women who are willing to just kind of check him mm-hmm. on rhetorical bullshit that he comes in. He'll come and make a very self-confident argument where he's like, so basically his idea is that Mr. Bingley clearly did a humble brag and that um, he doesn't find that like good or whatever in his writings. Elizabeth also kind of agrees because Bingley's like, I wasn't trying to humble brag. I was just saying I was bad at writing letters. And Elizabeth is like, no, but you said you write them quickly even though you don't say anything, which is what professors want in school for good grades, like write something down quickly for an exam. Mm -hmm. So you're showing off and having us insinuate that you got good grades and were the favorite of your professor. So it is a humble brag. Yeah. And there's like all these little things that going in there. And then she's accusing him basically of sneaking in, sneaking in admirable qualities while at the same time dismissing his faults as something that isn't necessary. Yeah. She's like, so what you're doing is basically you're saying that you don't care as much about the content of your letters. So it doesn't matter that they're bad. And you express that what matters to you and what matters to other people is that you are capable of doing it quickly. 
And so that's the argument she and Darcy are having about whether or not that that's acceptable. Yeah. Um, later on, Darster kind of out of nowhere while the music's playing, like walks over to Elizabeth mm-hmm. and asks her to dance. And Elizabeth's mm-hmm. like, Elizabeth literally says to him, I know what you're doing. You're asking me to dance. And I'm going to say no. Yeah. Because you want to make fun of me somehow, because this is a callback to when you didn't want to dance with me earlier. Yeah. And I don't know what you're doing, but I don't like it. And you can get mad at me with you if you want, because that's actually what I want. I don't want to dance with you. And he's kind of like, I was trying to dance. Yeah. I don't know about you. And then walks away. And she's like, what? <laughs> Darcy's the Darster is stuck in this very difficult situation now where he fucked up royally to start. Oh, off, yeah. Made a real bad first impression. And now he's in this really annoying situation where he is trying to convince both himself and Elizabeth that this relationship is something that could be good. Because, like, obviously, as you'd mentioned before, the social difference between the two, it'd be hard to overcome. It's 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 substantial and noticeable by everyone. Yeah. Which is also why. Go ahead. Oh, no, I'll let you finish. Well, I, that's on. that's all I'm saying is like basically all at once he's trying to convince himself that it's something that he wants and that could work and he also needs to try to convince elizabeth that he is aware that he fucked up before and he can be better and that is of course trying to convey that two-sided emotional thing while you're the darster and emotions are bad and a sign of weakness so our boy's struggling and no nowhere is this effort to mind the gap between their social structures more obvious to anyone than Caroline Bingley. Caroline who is so jealous. So jealous. That Elizabeth, through no effort on Elizabeth's part, is getting tons of attention mm-hmm. from the Darster. Not only is she to do it, looking like shit, not putting in any effort to like be cool to him or put any like girly affection to him. If anything, she's being rude, standoffish and arguing with him about everything. Yeah. And Darcy is doing nothing but being like looking at her, giving her attention, like noticing her every time she changes anything Mm -hmm. and giving Caroline the cold shoulder the whole time. Yeah. And Caroline cannot stand it. Yeah. And that's, this is, I was, uh, I kind of mentioned this a little bit before, but this is when we start seeing Caroline using this strategy of basically the next day they're walking through like a garden or something, Mm -hmm. um, down this path, Caroline and Darcy. And she starts doing this thing where she basically is like saying to Darcy, well, when you and Miss Bennett, Elizabeth, when you guys are married, you're going to have to, you know, figure out a way to rein in her manners and make sure that her younger sisters aren't so presumptuous with like getting my brother to have a party. And you're going to have to make sure that like the pictures hanging from your walls or the portraits hanging from your walls are on equal footing because your father and her father are in the same field technically. So she's just like making fun the whole time about how different their lives are and just trying to like, poke at the fact that this would never work mm-hmm. she's saying the obvious and she's yeah. satirizing the obvious which is like can you imagine how crazy it was if you actually decided to like let your better judgment go by the wayside and pursue this girl wouldn't that be dumb of you yeah and he's kind of like look 
yeah but also fuck off caroline (laughs) yeah he's he's kind of doing this thing where he's like a in the most like polite civil society way of being like you are obviously correct and also mind your own fucking business yeah and it's great because it comes to it comes to head basically darcy and caroline are walking and they cross paths with eliza and mrs hurst and they're on this path that isn't big enough for four people to walk along side by side and the two uh the two other women kind of take darcy by both of his arms leaving elizabeth as like the one out on this path darcy who's behind them yeah darcy of course notices this because he's obsessed with elizabeth notices how rude it is and is like hey why don't we all move to the larger avenue where we can all walk side by side and elizabeth is like you know what fuck all of you i'm out of here <laughs> and she's just like have fun in your walk and leaves so much respect for this woman oh she just she she got moved into a radio and it would have been more embarrassing to accept that. So she, without even like really playing the game, is just like, I'm just going to I'm just going to reject this proposal altogether and go yes. my own way and retain my pride. Such and, a boss. and Bingley's like, I respect that. And also now I have to hang out with the Bingley sisters. And this <laughs> sucks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. OK, so we're back now. So that was so that was chapters 10 and 11, by the way. Well, no, no, no. So chapter 11 we get another scene in the drawing room. Right. And this is a short one. So we'll, we'll just kind of whip through this really quick. But again, Caroline is pestering Darcy and trying to get his attention. She like stands up and walks across the room. Darcy doesn't look up from his book that he's reading. But Caroline goes over, grabs Elizabeth and is like, hey, why don't you walk around with me? Stretch our legs out. We've been sitting in this, you know, in this room for a while. Also important to note, um, Jane is at this point feeling much better and mm-hmm. she's down sitting with Bingley who is entranced by her. But Caroline and Eliza are basically just like, all right, let's walk around. Darcy immediately looks up as soon as Eliza gets up and noticing this, Caroline is like, Hey, why don't you uh, join us, Mr. Darcy and walk around the room a little bit, stretch out your legs. huh?" Darcy's like, nah, cause I know what you're doing. Like, this is not good, which Basically, strike sparks another sparring match between he and Elizabeth. They're just flirting. That's all. That's all this is. They're just flirting. And the chapter ends with Darcy kind of reflecting about the fact that he is in danger of paying way too much attention to Eliza, and he's just kind of like, "This needs to. This needs to stop." Yeah, yeah. Our man needs to go take a cold shower because it's just yeah, not great. He needs to cool off. He needs to just chill or whatever the cold shower equivalent is. They they fill up like a cauldron full of like just water from the river. And it's like, this sucks. Oh, wow. Thanks. I'm all better. Right. Exactly. So that brings us to chapter 12. When it's time for the Bennett girls to eventually leave, the Darster is actually like, Hey, this is, I'm actually pretty relieved right now. Cause your boy was crushing hard on Elizabeth and now I don't have to see her anymore. Yeah. Kind of a win-win. I got to get my flirt on, maybe learn a thing or two about my own emotions against my will. And now she gets to go away and I don't have to worry about this quandary where I'm kind of falling in love with a girl who's not as rich as me. He realizes that he likes Elizabeth too much for his own good, you know, and also Caroline was really jealous of her. And he's like, now that Elizabeth's gone, Caroline isn't going to be such a massive problem mm-hmm. all the time. And she will she will probably annoy me less to get back at Elizabeth. So this is just two birds with one stone. Mm-hmm. Really, the people I have to hang out with are going to be better. And the girl I like that I can't be with is also gone. So, you know, this is kind of good. Bingley, Charles Bingley's bummed. Bingley is bummed. Bingley is 
and again, probably like him and Jane are the only like people we don't have to worry about what they're thinking in this book. Yeah, because they wear it on their sleeve pretty well. It's obvious that Jane likes Mr. Bingley from how excited she was to go to the ball. Bingley is entranced with her through everything he does. So we don't really have to worry about their intentions or emotions. And but through them, the rest of the characters kind of like find their place and everything like that. But Bingley's bummed. No one's more bummed than Miss Bennett. Right. They come home and Miss Bennett's like, I can't believe you were only there a week. What a what a crime of crimes. No proposal either. (laughs) Horrible. I've failed. I've failed as a mother. I've failed as a wife. And Mr. Bennett's like, oh my God. I actually miss my daughters and I want to hang out with them. So I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, he's like, yeah, our conversations have lacked a lot since you've been gone. Thank God you're back. Lizzie, you read any good books over here? Christ, I've been listening to your mother talk about which like, like picking out like pastels for the wedding. And I'm just like, oh my God. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. We also find out that Lydia and Kitty have been talking to a bunch of militiamen soldiers that are in town. They're kind of obsessed with that at the time being, but that's pretty much chapter 12. It's just them getting, it's like a recap. Okay. You're back. We're back at the Bennett estate. Mr. Bennett's pumped because he gets to hang out with his kids again. Miss Bennett Mm. distraught as anyone would be. Yeah, so that gets us to our last chapter of the day today. Chapter 13, um, Goat Daddy B announces to the family. Do you like that? Goat Daddy B. That's how I'll be referring to him from now on. To Papa Bennett? Okay, yeah, Goat Daddy Goat B. Goat Daddy B um, announces to the family. Basically, they'll have a guest over for dinner that night, to which everybody's like, ooh, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And he's like, it's our uh, the person who's going to receive this house after I die. And they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was going to be some it's the worst kind of stud. dinner party uh unwanted and very important <laughs> yes so th- this guy who, who you'd mentioned before he is the son of this cousin that technically has some kind of stake in this this house this estate yeah uh and he wants to kind of squash this beef that Mr. Bennett and his father had had beforehand, which is, which is like why the house is like under threat of getting taken from them. It's not because, because like in a normal, like a family estate level stuff, you kind of divvy up your property to people and the Bennett's should be fine. Mm -hmm. But because him and his cousin beefed so hard, the cousin who's the actual landlord would just be like, uh, yeah, as soon as it's not like embarrassing for me to evict my own family, I'm going to. Right. And yeah, the chapter, Pretty much ends with this guy coming over. His name is Mr. Collins. Um, he is a pastor and he comes, has dinner with the family, compliments them on their house, the family's attractiveness level, which apparently is just a necessary thing to do. And um, that's pretty much the end of our our segment this yes. week. That's it. It's kind of ends off on a on a way different note, just like this weird kind of like tense. Mm-hmm. But pleasant. Yeah, it'll be interesting cousin. to know. And, and it's important because if you are one of these girls and you're trying to get married and you're trying to maybe jump up a social class, the status of your estate is very important. Mm-hmm. So if we're Jane in this situation, because she's the only one at this point that has is in the running for like actual marriage. She like this matters a lot to her because if she has nothing going in, like literally nothing going into this marriage, it's going to be a lot harder to get done unless true love prevails. (laughs) Anyway, 
We'll so, get there. Kind of a weird change in tone, but very important. Yeah, pretty crucial. Um, and it's actually kind of a lot of times what Jane does in these books, uh, Jane Austen does in these books is that we'll have levity. We'll have a really good conversation. We'll have strong dialogue, character development, and then kind of a little bit of a back to reality slap in the face. And she does that mostly by describing the precariousness of the Bennett estate. That's mm-hmm. kind of where we bring it down because while they are having fun and all the fun stuff takes place either with the Bingleys or at Netherfield where the Bingleys are staying and they get to hang out with all the rich people who don't have to worry about anything. Mm-hmm. We're constantly reminded that they do. Yes. Regardless of whether or not the, their company does, they do have to worry about things and their middle-class lifestyle that again is comfortable and fine is um, not as, uh, not as stable as they would want it to be. Yeah. I just, I want to know what it's like. Not, not necessarily that I'd want to do it all the time, but I'd want to know what it's like to just spend a week at someone's house. Not as if you're on vacation. Mm -hmm. This is just how you live. Spending a week at somebody's house and all you do is play cards and walk around. Yeah. You cut off the cable. You cut off the internet. No electronics. Yeah. No TV. I'd invent hoop and a stick, probably. You know how bored you'd be? Dude, I would talk so much shit. Oh, yeah. Anyone leaves the room. I'm just like, hey, fuck Paul, right? (laughs) You know, you just, that's just what you do. It's either that, it's either that, or like, even if it's not talking shit, it's just talking about everyone Mm -hmm. because that is your form of entertainment. Yes. Like other people are. It's natural that you, if you have a dance, the next day, you don't have Netflix to go to. So what's your entertainment? Instead of watching a reality TV show or something else, your life is that. And so you're going to talk about what's great about people, what sucks about people, what's okay about other people. And in a way, when you look at it like this, it actually kind of explains Mr. Darcy's wallflowerness a little bit better when he is so much wealthier and his estate is so much grander than literally, literally everyone else is there. Mm -hmm. And because the only real sport is to talk shit about people's lives and what they do at social events, everyone there is always looking at everyone for anything that is worthy of conversation. So Darcy has kind of made the bet where he's like, I'm going to be a reserved prick and not put myself in the, place to embarrass myself yeah because looking like a cold rich dick is actually better than potentially having fun and doing something slightly embarrassing that everyone talks about forever because they would you know yeah it's a gamble i don't think he's winning he's not but in his own mind that's the calculus where he's like i would rather kind of bide my time in this country town maybe come off standoffish to people because i know there's always going to be something better around the future around the bend bing bingley's doing it right yeah the one thing though the one thing that i feel like darcy might just be thinking I, i think darcy sees through a lot of the bullshit Darcy isn't fake the way that Elizabeth isn't fake. Mm -hmm. Like Elizabeth gets called out as being rude by the Bingley sisters because she speaks her mind and she just tells it like it is like when they're at dinner and she's talking to people and she's like, no, I'm fuck that basically like whatever. I'm going to walk to a house for three miles and get dirty, whatever. Like she gets called out for being rude. Now, maybe but she's also just being herself 
Darcy's doing a similar thing where he's like, I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not going to do this Bingley thing. Maybe Bingley is being authentic, but like Darcy, like, I'm not going to just, I'm not going to dance if I don't want to. I'm going to be me. Yeah. I have the, I have the, I'm of a mind that Bingley and Darcy are actually a lot of friends as well because they're both so themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, Bingley's actually, like we said, the golden retriever, right? Yeah. He can't help but be friendly and nice to everyone. And everyone all, and, and that's kind of backed up by the fact that everyone has the exact same opinion of Mr. Bingley. Mm-hmm. Cool, nice, rich, handsome, fun to be around. Mm-hmm. In con- that's that's consistent with everyone who meets him. Yep. And so, and and also Darcy's the same way. Cold, handsome, rich, kind of a douchebag mm-hmm. across the board. So I think both of them are kind of playing at their own level. And that might be why they're friends as well. They don't have to be fake with each other because they just don't know. Like they just refuse to be mm-hmm. like it might actually benefit Mr. Bingley to kind of like keep himself a little bit more guarded if he wanted to like, I don't know, like. Not make it so obvious that he likes Jane, but he just can't. He's just like, hey, Jane's the best. Hey, what does she need? I'll give it to her right now. Do you want it right now? Want a party? Want a hospital trip? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, the the, the issue too is, I mean, it's very, you know, Jane Austen makes it very obvious that this is coming from a superiority complex. Like, Like if it were just... Basically, what I said before is kind of irrelevant when you consider the fact that Darcy isn't doing this because he's trying to avoid bullshit. He's just like, I am straight up better than all of these people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, can't really avoid that. True. I guess, I, you know, when you try to dive in deep, but it, it, it really is just kind of as simple as that. Um, let's go into a quick little thing. Okay. What is the Jane Austen hinge bio? Of mm. our main characters. Let's start with Jane and Mr. Bingley, the two easiest ones, and we'll work our way into more complex ones. Okay. Uh, Jane and Mr. Bingley. I like to, I'll, I'll just start off with what I think yeah, Jane's would be. Let's hear it. Jane's would just be, you know, it had age, location, and then it would be like probably a real, like a funny quote from a very popular, obvious movie. Yeah. Okay. And Mr. Bingley's would be something super similar. And so Jane has a bunch of really nice pictures that have been nice for like three years. Yeah. They're I, all very like, not in this, like basic in this, not in the basic like modern sense, basic in the sense that they're just like very nice shots of just her or maybe her sisters looking really pretty. I see them both as people who are like, they both have pictures of like them golfing on their profiles yeah. and are like, I just like to have fun. Like picture of Miss like looking for someone to join me on my next adventure. And Mr. Bingley's yeah. like at like some random like other part of the world. Exactly. Like, oh wow, you went there. That's pretty cool. Yes. So that's I think that's a pretty good here. Let's be honest. Jane and Bingley's descriptions would be pretty similar. Yeah. And just the different versions of whatever. Darcy's uh Darcy's would look a lot like mine, where it would just be sarcastic and rude be like why the fuck am i even on hinge to begin with and elizabeth's i think would be like witty to the point where like most people wouldn't understand it yeah i actually want to go the other way darcy's would just be pictures of him looking good and handsome no bio okay I like no he's that. going blank <laughs> like that yeah <laughs> that's funny he actually might not even be on hinge because you have to answer questions about yourself that's funny. He's just the Bumble profile of just a dude who looks really hot where you look at. Is this a fake profile? There's yeah. no bio or it just says like whatever his estate name is. That's just where it says. Yeah, no, like like it has like 
degree, like where he went to school, major, what he does. That's it. <laughs> Darcy's on one of those like celebrity dating apps. Oh, yeah. Where well, like you pay like a $200 premium for it. And- yeah. And it's like only people with blue checks can be on here. Oh, yeah. And it's just like, I'm, I'm too good for Hinge. That's Darcy. Yeah. So- Elizabeth would be the kind of person that's like a cause that you care about. And she'd be like, women's rights. That kind of thing. Yeah. Darcy, someone would ask Darcy if he's on Tinder and he would get like really mad at them and probably hate them forever. He'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Tinder with the commoners? Yes, exactly. You think with, I'm going to the, Cheapside London and the pores? Yeah. No. no. Exactly. Please have a better opinion of me. <laughs> here's here's the reality though. It doesn't matter at the end of the day what their profiles would say because we know Mrs. Bennett's writing all of them. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Except for Caroline's, which is just your classic hot girl to, um, account. Oh my gosh. Picture Car- at the beach. Caroline's is travel like, one. Caroline's like, uh, describe your typical Sunday. And it'd be like brunch, endless mimosas and my dog. It'd be like, okay. <laughs> Let's see what this is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And you. Yeah. And like picture of her studying abroad picture of her um, like in like Cozumel, Mexico mm-hmm. picture of her somehow on like this crazy expensive rooftop in New York City. And you're like, where is this girl from? Mm-hmm. And then like random thing in the very end of just like. No hookups. <laughs> like, you yeah, know, like, exactly. Yes. I love that. Well, all right. Um, we should probably wrap up here. That's right. Next week, we're going to finish volume or part one of uh, Pride and Prejudice. Come back to you with that. Uh, until then, this has been Bibliotheques. Thank you so much for listening to the Pride and Prejudice edition. We'll see you guys next time.